morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, there are Bibles at the back. If you don't have one, I suggest uh, you open up with me to John chapter 16, uh, and we're going to pick it up at verse 6. Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgments. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. Where you, can see, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the, tr- the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what, will make known t- what, well, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And the second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, uh, and we'll pick it up from verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you again uh, this Sunday. And uh, we're coming towards the end of our series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, so far we've been looking at how the Spirit interacts with us as Christians. And today we're going to be uh, getting a better understanding of uh, the Spirit's role in the journey to faith. Uh, Let's go ahead and get the next slide up. 
and uh, uh, we're going to be focusing in particular on uh, John 16, <coughs> starting in verse 8 and going on to verse 11. And I'll just read those few verses again just so that we can focus in on them. Jesus said, when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, I want to start by uh, giving you an idea that I want you to think about and process in your mind. I want to tell you that no one does anything unless they want to. No one does anything at all unless it is what they choose to do, unless it is what they desire. And uh, to explain my point a little bit, I want to quote from Blaise Pascal. He was a philosopher in the 1600s, and this is what he had to say about this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the littlest step except to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. How does this make sense? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, there is a man who has severe depression, his life is in shambles, and he knows that he needs to see a psychologist to sort himself out. But he decides not to because that will be really hard and unpleasant, and there is greater short-term happiness in avoiding what will make him better because that's hard. And so he's doing what he chooses to make him happy in a very narrow mindset. Or the person who loves the Lord with all her heart and recognizes that time with him is the way to achieve greatest joy in life, and so she spends an hour every morning reading her Bible, praying, drawing near to God. Some mornings it may not feel very productive, but she knows in the long term, that this is the path to happiness. And so in different views, people will always choose to do what will make them happy. This presents us as Christians with a problem because we sin. And so I'd also like you to think about the fact that everyone likes sin. And uh, we know that the Holy Spirit's main role in your life is transformation. And day by day, as we walk with God, as we spend time in his word, as we learn more about his character, the Spirit makes us more like Christ. And there is less and less desire to sin, and more and more desire to walk in holy ways. 
But until the day when the Lord comes and takes his people home, there will be a part of us that likes sin. And we need to keep the right view so that we can pursue what will bring ultimate happiness. And so today I want to talk to you about a couple of different types of grace that God gives. Now, grace is a theological word. All it means is God's good gifts that we don't deserve. And there are two types of grace that theologians talk about. Maybe if you've listened to uh, uh, John Piper or John MacArthur or read a, a theology book or two, you've heard of common grace and special grace. Well, common grace is the type of grace that God gives to every single person on earth. Gifts that are not deserved, but that God lovingly bestows on us. Things like life. God gives us breath and life and everything. The rain falls on the good and the evil. That is a gift, not something we deserve. At every moment of every day, you are constantly sustained by the continuing permission of God. And that's a gift. Not only that, but another part of common grace is moral restraint. The idea that people who don't know God and people who do can see something is wrong and say, I am not going to do that. That's a gift from God, this awareness of what is right and what is wrong. And Romans chapter 1 talks a little bit about this. If you have your Bible open, I want you to flip to Romans chapter 1. Right at the start, it's um, uh, right after the Gospels and Acts. You go to Romans, first chapter, starting in verse 22, and it's talking about how people walk away from God after recognizing the truth. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So instead of worshiping God, people made idols. Therefore, because of this, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And we're going to keep on looking at that, but for a second, I want you to make this connection, right? People recognize what is good and say, no, I don't want that. I'm going to go my own way. And God says, so be it. I've shown you what is right, but if you choose to pursue what is wrong, I will let you and I will release some of the moral restraint that I've put over your heart out of love because you've made that decision. And so with this moral restraint, it's been relaxed. It says that God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, right? So they went the wrong way and God said, you've chosen this. I'm going to let you. I'm releasing some of my hold over your heart. And they liked that and they went further down this path. And God said, this is wrong. I am giving you the choice though. 
Because I want relationship with you, not robotic obedience. And so because you want to go in this way, I will release you further into your immorality. And it says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So part of common grace is God gives us a sense of right and wrong. And what we do with that, well, that's your decision, but in God's grace, he has given you that sense of right and wrong. One more aspect of a common grace. I could talk about more. I'll keep it to just one more. Goodness, not just moral restraint, but moral goodness. Every time a young person helps an elderly person across the road, every time someone sees someone in need, donates to charity, every time someone encourages, lifts someone else up, encourages someone to do good, or sees something that needs happening and wants to sacrifice from themselves for the better of other people, that is a gift from God that has been put on their heart. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So common grace. God gives this to everyone. And then you get special grace, which, and I love how Hugh Welchel, a theologian, puts it, special grace is the work of the Holy Spirit in calling, regenerating, justifying, and sanctifying individual sinners. In other words, this is special. It's only given to people who God brings into his family. If you're a Christian today, it's because of the special grace of God. And uh, what we're going to be focusing on this morning is what I call the convicting grace of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look in a theology book or online, you may not see anything come up for the convicting grace. That's because it's the term that I've chosen to give to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this passage. When he comes, John 16, verse 8, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That wordy phrase, prove the world to be in the wrong, is just one Greek word, elektro, and it means convict, reprove, convince, rebuke. This is given by the Holy Spirit to every person who encounters God's people, who encounters the gospel, who the Spirit reveals Jesus to, whether or not they give themselves to him. And I'm sure that you would agree that the world is in need of conviction from the Holy Spirit. 
talk a little bit about the world that we live in, Maryland's East Presbyterian Church. Australians live in what is called a post-truth society. Now, this word became pretty popular about six years ago um, during the 2016 presidential election. And uh, uh, an easy way to understand it is a post-truth society is one where objective facts are far less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion or personal belief. Or in other words, people want to base what they know to be true on how they feel and on what seems good. And I'll give you just one example of that, not a political example. Uh, I want you to think back to every single Coca-Cola ad that you've ever seen uh, that has people in it. You know, there's the one with Santa, and then there's the one with the polar bears. But when you get posters or TV advertisements for Coca-Cola, you'll see young people, active, healthy, engaged in fun activities. And uh, when you see all of these people living their youthful, active, healthy lives, and then the logo for Coke comes on, your brain associates this product with youth and health and activity and uh, social belonging and all of these things that are good things, and then Coke comes along and says, hey, this is us. Coke is far more interested in you associating them with youth, health, and active living than with obesity and diabetes even though when we stop and think about it, we all know that drinking Coke won't make you younger, won't make you healthier, won't make you more active, won't make you have more friends. But it's based on the feeling that they're relying on. That's one example of a post-truth society. And Joseph Goebbels, who was one of Nazi Germany's big propagandists, he said this once, a lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. We live in a world bombarded by what people would like to have us see as the truth. The phrase history is written by the victors is not a new one and uh, neither is the post-truth nature of our society. What we've seen in the past decade or so is not a shift to becoming more post-truth, but rather a shift to becoming more open about how we are post-truth. And uh, just think about it, every different political party uh, will openly admit and say there's a problem with fake news and misinformation, but also every one of them says we have the, rea the real stuff, we have the truth. And in the same breath, many people, politically or not, who say they have the real truth, will then tell you that their personal truth is the truth that is real to them. We live in a world that does not believe in capital T, truth. But the world was like this even in Jesus' day. There was paganism all around. 
There were people looking, picking out things in the scriptures that seemed good to them and making predictions about what would happen and saying, this seems good to me. This is when the Messiah will come. This will be exactly what he is like. Jesus, in the previous chapter, um, before John 16, had just finished telling his disciples about how the world had rejected both truth and him. This is what he said in John 15, verses 18 to 22. If the world hates you, Christians, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, listen, if I had not come and spoken to them, then they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sins. It's incredibly difficult to change a person's mind when they are convinced of an idea. And it is impossible to change a person's heart. The heart of the world has rejected truth, and this is because they have rejected the one who is the truth, the way, the life. And because this is a heart rejection of the truth, words and reason will not be able to reach that heart. They can reach the mind with continued, dedicated, high-quality effort, but the heart is another beast entirely. Only the power of God can convict, convince, and reprove the heart so that it recognizes the reality of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I wonder, those of you who say, Jesus is my Lord. How often do you call on God to change the hearts of the people you know who need Jesus? Is that a way of life for you? We have a promise from the Lord that if we ask anything in his name, if his word abides in us, if we abide in him, if we're asking according to his will, he will do it. How often do you take him at his word and pray, Lord, this person that I love dearly, they don't know you. Would you convict them? Would your Holy Spirit change their heart, soften it to the truth of the gospel? Is that part of the way you live? It needs to be. Because Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit not only in baptism, not only to give us fellowship with God, not only to give direction and guidance as Christians walk with God, but also to convict the world, the people who don't know God, of three realities. Sin is real. Righteousness is real. 
judgment is real. And it's these three realities that we'll be focusing on for the rest of this morning. First of all, I want you to look at the reality of sin. John 16, verses eight and nine. When he comes, this is the spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me. Remember, we we talked earlier a little bit about how every single person has been given this inward sense of right and wrong. And you know, over the course of your life, you can make decisions and choose different courses of action that strengthen or weaken your awareness of that moral compass. Some people are wired in a way that makes them more aware of it naturally, and other people have a different brain chemistry sometimes, or even a disability sometimes, that makes it harder for them to understand. There's less clarity. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon a person, they are brought into sharp awareness of what is this roadmap of righteousness. And the clearest example of this is in Acts chapter two, which was read at the beginning. Right after Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached a sermon of repentance to many assembled people. In verse 37, After he finished this sermon, he said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When the spirit convicts someone of the reality of sin, they recognize it's not just sin, it's my sin. I have done wrong. Now you may have listened to that being read and thought, okay, these people actually killed Jesus. I've done mostly good in my life and I've done great compared to them. But when we stand before the Lord on judgment day, he's not going to judge us in comparison to other people. The standard that he will judge us by is his perfect will. And looking back at this past week alone, have you completely lived up to your own expectations of what is a good person? No, you haven't. How then do you expect your whole life to measure up to God's perfect standard? This is important to understand whether you're a Christian or not. Righteousness. Verses 8 and 10. When the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 10. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. You know, the Spirit's work of convicting the world of righteousness is necessary for the same reason that convicting the world of sin is necessary. And I want you to listen to this. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, then you need to understand this. Since Jesus has gone to be with the Father in heaven, 
and is no longer on earth to demonstrate righteousness by example, the Holy Spirit penetrates to the heart and gives weight to the words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, a world that does not recognize truth will not be able to tell the difference between sin and righteousness. If there is no truth, then the worst you can say of anything is, I don't like that. But you can't call it wrong. The spirit of truth convicts. And the spirit most often convicts people of right and wrong through the people of God that are in their lives. In the words of pastor and theologian John MacArthur, you, speaking to Christians, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. How clearly is your life displaying the righteousness of God? Judgment. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 11, about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I want you to understand two things from this verse. The spirit convicts us, convicts the world about judgment well, Christ is the judge. We know from earlier in John that judgment belongs to Jesus. It is not something that just God the Father does. In John chapter 5, verses 27 to 29, Jesus said this, God has given him, referring to the Son of Man, which is Jesus, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Listen, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Elsewhere, we are told to strive to attain the holiness without which no one can enter heaven. You need to be righteous. Jesus will judge the world, and his judgment will be final. We know how the story ends. And I want you to understand this clearly. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's physical or on your phone, open it up, turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the God of righteousness who judges sin. The second thing you need to understand is that the ruler of this world is judged. The devil's crimes have already been tried in the court of heaven, and the verdict has been given. He has been judged as unrighteous, and his sinful ways will end when he is thrown into the lake of fire. This is the eternal fate of every man and woman whose sin is not covered by the death of Jesus who is not connected by the Spirit to the life of Christ, who, as we learn in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Listen, Jesus died on the cross to take this punishment away from you. If you have not yet given your life to the Lord, then please, Listen to the cry of the Spirit of God on your heart. Be made right with God. Escape from the wrath that is to come. The time for mercy is now. On judgment day, the time for mercy will have passed. If you're a Christian, are you living the kind of life that can be used to show people the reality of the righteousness, not only that Jesus has, but that Jesus gives to you and offers to them? Are you living the kind of life that will show people that God cares about sin? Do you take this reality seriously enough that people will understand that there is a coming judgment? Do you live a life that the Holy Spirit can use to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? If you're not a Christian, please, put your trust in Jesus to cover your very real sin with his perfect righteousness.
so that you do not suffer eternal judgment and so that others can escape from this fate as well. May we treat this reality with the gravity that it deserves. And may the Holy Spirit convict his own people as well as the world. Won't you join me in prayer? Lord God Almighty, you are great, powerful, merciful, full of wrath against sin. You have sent your Holy Spirit to convict the world, to warn them of this coming judgment, so that you might draw them into your loving family. We know, God, that your anger at sin is right, and we are blown away by the mercy and grace that you give us, that you offer to the whole world. Would you help us to live the kind of lives that show the world that this is real? May your Holy Spirit work through our words and our lives to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And may you bring many people out of that judgment and into salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for our last song.
Thank you so much, uh, music team. Uh, you guys can grab a seat. Uh, I hope you've been encouraged this morning by the word that was preached to us. Um, and I hope you're finding this series encouraging in the series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, before we get into announcements, we're going to have a time of offering. Uh, so if, if we get the offering bags off around, uh, if you don't carry cash on you these days, there are other ways to give. Um, but if you're a guest with us here today, please just let the offering bag pass over you. Um, this is a, this is something for us as, a, as members of this church to be uh, involved in God's work in this church. Um, but otherwise, you, there's no obligation at all for you to give. A couple of announcements for you guys to be aware of. Um, the first is there are actually nominations to join the Committee of manage, Management available. Um, they've been extended to next uh, Sunday, the 5th of June. So... If you want to nominate yourself or if you want to nominate someone else to be involved in the committee management, uh, this is a form to grab uh, from the guys at the back. There's just a whole uh, slip of sheets there. Um, or you can ask Farid or myself and we'll be able to give you guys one. Um, if you don't want to nominate yourself but you know someone who's going to be really like a really good person for the committee management, just nominate them. Don't ask them. Just here's what you say. You say, I insert your name, nominate so-and-so, and then sign it, and then you give it to that person and say, listen, I've nominated you, sign here. <laughs> and then they sign. Um, it's really important, actually, that in the English, we have members of our church who we trust to represent the wider church at the Committee of Management. And so if you have any interest at all in decisions regarding building, finances, projects... I would really urge you and encourage you, please consider joining the committee of management. It would be a real blessing and it's a real need for our congregation for us to have a couple of representatives. So we're hoping to have three members from the English. If there are more than three members, it will just go to a vote downstairs and then of those however many people, there will be three allocated for the English. So if you haven't yet thought about this or nominated someone you've been thinking about, today's the day. Do it. Second announcement is Vine is actually going to be launching. It's really exciting. Uh, the guys at the back are going to show you if we have got it in time. I'm not sure. I did it last minute. Um, uh, these are the Vines. Are we allowed to show this for it? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Um, these are our small groups that are actually relaunching next month. Yeah, I know. I just, it was off a whim. Sorry, guys. Um, we're launching actually next month. So next, not next week, but the week after we're launching Vines. And this week, there's going to be some WhatsApp groups which are going to be set up for your Vine. So if, if, you, if you're not on this list, which will come up again soon, um, I want to encourage you today, make sure you chat to Farid, and he will put you onto one of those Vines if you want to join a small group. So these are going to be our midweek Bible studies. Um, I think we're meeting once a fortnight. Is that right? And then in terms of the day, that will still be decided once those groups are set up, which day of the week to actually meet. 
Um, so if you're not a part of a Bible study right now, which most of us probably aren't, this is an opportunity to be involved in that as that relaunches, which is really exciting. Third announcement is for Fuse and Seal. Hands up if you're in high school here. Put your hands up. Come on, I know you. I know who you are. Put your hands up if you're in high school. Hands up. Hands up. I want to see all of you. Put your hands up if you're in high school and a couple of teachers as well. That's great. You guys can join as well by all means. A couple of special announcements for you guys. The first is uh, this Friday we've got uh, continuing our youth group and our young adults ministries at 7.30 p.m. The second announcement is in a few weeks' time we're taking you to a special outing in Chatswood. There's actually a conference for uh, youth members called Onwards and we're about to see a video um, if it's if 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 those I sent all this really last minute to the tech team, so please forgive me for putting him on the spot like this. This is a video I want you guys to watch. As one of the keynote speakers at the Onward Conference, taking place on the 24th of June uh, in Chatswood. This year, we're looking at a topic uh, which is incredibly relevant. Um, no matter where you're living, no matter what age or stage you're at, and, and the topic is: Doesn't Christianity crush? Diversity. The reason that is such an important topic to think about is because a lot of people think that Christianity does exactly that. That Christianity is responsible for bigotry, for prejudice, for discrimination. And not only that has it been doing it in the past, but it continues to perpetuate it uh, in our life today. And so we're going to spend some time actually trying to answer the question, is it true? Does Christianity actually crush diversity? What does the Bible say? What does God actually say uh, about this world and the world that we live in? But also we're going to spend time thinking about how we can use this topic, how we can use this this conversation that's going around in our world with the people you know and love, your friends, your family, other people, school, wherever, and think about how we can use it to point people to the glorious truth um, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, that he he loves everyone. Um, And so we're going to spend some time thinking about how to do those things together. I can't wait to see you. I reckon out of COVID, if we have the opportunity to ever meet together in a group, Take it. You never know when it's going to go again. Take it. So I can't wait to see you. 24th of June. You can register uh, now. I look forward to seeing you then. So this is a conference that's happening in a few weeks' time, 24th of June. It'll be in Chatswood, and it starts pretty early. Uh, So today, Jesse's actually going to be handing around an iPad with the consent forms for that conference. Um, Yes, that's, that's not the consent form. Those are the Vine groups. Feel free to take a picture of that while it's up on the screen. Um... And then back onto the, conf- the Onwards Conference. Uh, if you're a, a parent of a youth member or if you're a youth member here, uh, please get your parents today to see Jessie or find Jessie and take her to your parents to sign the consent form because it's about 30 bucks. Um, and it's all the way in Chatswood, which I know for many of you, you don't even know what Chatswood is. So you're stuck on this side of Sydney and that's like a brand new side for you. Um, it's going to be a mad adventure and we can't wait to take you there. Um, the third announcement for youth is that we're hoping to organise a camp sometime later this year. So we're thinking maybe in August. So please let your parents know and give them a heads up from now. Um, for the rest of the church, if you are even somewhat interested in helping out at our youth camp, uh, we would really greatly appreciate a few more people there to help because um, currently we only have about maybe a handful or so of people. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, please just message me directly. Um, and I can give you some more information about different ways that we might have people help and serve. All right. Uh, um, how about I ask you to all stand up and we're going to close off our service in prayer and um, ask God as well to put his hand over the offering and use it for the work of the church. Why don't you pray with me? 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way in which you bless your people. You bless us through the giving of your word to us. You bless us through the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. You bless us through leaving us your Holy Spirit, our wonderful counsellor, to live in our hearts, to guide us, to sanctify us, to change us, to cleanse us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and in this church. And we pray that you would continue doing that work. Would you do it through the offering that has been donated today? Would you do it through the many ministries which are working and involved in this church? Would you do it through the different groups like the Committee of Management, which are uh, meeting regularly to try and make decisions? God, would you give wisdom and insight and godliness to every member of our church, every person here today, that we would live and conduct godly lives for the honour and praise and glory of your precious son's name, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.